Well, if you'd open your Bibles back up to Ephesians chapter 2. It is uh, it's that time of year again. It's kind of the end of a church, our church trimester. If you think of uh, the seasons of the church calendar, we kind of have the summer and spring and then fall and winter. We kind of have these three seasons. And we're at the end of the winter, uh, heading into uh, summer, the summer trimester. And it's time for us to stop and, and do some evaluation and self-reflection and kind of forward planning. That's what we try to do as a church family. So after church today, we're having our, our family meeting. These used to be our church potlucks that we would have at, you know, at 5 o'clock on a Sunday night. But we're just going to have the, the meeting afterwards today. And we as a, as a membership, and, who, and we invite everybody to be here, but we'll be going through some of the specifics, reviewing and pre, previewing the ministries of this church and catching up on what's going on. But I, I wanted to start off this morning with the big picture. Before we get to that meeting, I thought we should take some time and kind of step back and get some perspective on who we are as a church and what we are about. I think we've been in a time of kind of pedaling hard with our head down, and it's time to take a break, uh, look up where we're going, look at the map, get some perspective. I think it's been, uh, we've all been a bit bogged maybe in the COVID fog, and it's easy to lose our perspective, to forget who we are and what we're about. So, to do this this morning, I'm stepping out of our Second Samuel series. If you haven't been with us, we've been studying through the book of Second Samuel. We'll be back to that next week. And I'm, and I'm stepping into the book of Ephesians, this wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus, where if you know the book at all, if you want to get a big picture of what God is doing all the way down to the specifics, this is the book uh, to look at. But we're going to focus in here at the center of the book. Paul gives them and us two main metaphors for the church, for who they are in Christ as a body. And the first one I want us to see is the word, the metaphor, household. Look at verse 19 with me. And, and, and Paul is speaking to the Gentiles here who have come into the church by faith. He says, so then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul is saying to these Gentile believers, as they've come in to Christ by faith and have been washed by his blood, they've now moved in. They moved, he talks about in verse 10, they moved from far off to near, that's verse 13. Then he said they've moved from, fellow, uh, from strangers and aliens to fellow citizens. And then he says, but even more than that, you can see him working inward, that they have actually become members of the household of God. You see, God's church, his people, whether Gentile or Jew or male or female or slave or Greek or young or old, whether they're people from ancient Rome or Ephesus or modern Spokane, they have, we have, all become members of God's household. That's what we are today, right here, the household of 
God. And I love this, this term because it's so familial. Those in your household are our family. They're your brothers and sisters and maybe moms and dads and maybe uncles and aunts who's ever in your household. And they are the ultimate kind of close relational circle in your life. Family. You guys are my family. This is the Christ Redeemer family. Now, the metaphor, household, kind of family idea, implies a few things, doesn't it? A few simple things. And the first is this that we see in the text here. The first is unity. Relational closeness. That, that, that's what is inherently a family is or, or brings to our lives. Nobody knows you better than your family. Nobody's closer into you than your family. We, we speak of being a, a tight-knit family. It speaks of a, a true unity. And although such close quarters uh, can cause issues, at the ideal level, this is what we all want. It's what we all desire. The world, all of us, desire true family unity. It's in us. And we reflect it in so many ways. Think about the institution of marriage. It's about two individuals trying to create unity. It's an old-fashioned Christian institution where two are, are ceremonially united as one so as to create a family. And everybody wants in on this institution, don't they? A lot of people want it on their own terms. They want to define it their own way. But people are actually fighting to be married, to have the institution, the ceremony, because they think with it, it, it will bring a unity, a family unity. Think about at the broader societal level, how we strive for familial unity in so many ways. We create communes and clubs and teams and unions so that we can band together as brothers and sisters like a family and be unified and close. Think about it at the national level where the United States one nation under God, indivisible. It's like, it's like a marriage. We have the United Nations. We are always striving after this kind of family unity. This is what we yearn for at the deepest levels. But at all these levels, here's the thing. At all these levels, we fail. Come to marriage, we have divorce. National unity, we have wars. Family unity, we have domestic violence and division. In our sinfulness, we blow unity up. We ruin it. And it's always been this way. It goes back to the, the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? That first perfectly unified family sinning against God, separating from Him, and then dividing with one another and struggling even ended up murdering each other. But Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, that in Christ, something amazing has happened. 
That as we've come to Christ, we've been united in him for real. As a family, at, at, at a deeper level even than biology. In chapter 1, he talks about the fact that we are adopted. All of us are adopted into this family in Christ. And in verse 14, if you noticed in the reading, he talks about us becoming one new man. That's, that's how close. Look, it says for verse 14, For he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances as he fulfilled them that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Real unity. You see, our earthly families may divide. Biological brothers and sisters may hate each other and choose to never to speak again and push each other out of their lives. But this family is united at a spiritual, eternal level in Christ. And someday our unity will come to full fruition when all things are united under Him in heaven and on earth. That's chapter 1, verse 10. And look at how Paul describes our bond, our oneness in this unity in chapter 4. Because this is kind of a theme all the way through. And he's still talking about it when you get to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. This is what he says. This is how he describes their unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's seven onenesses. Seven acclamations of our oneness. We're one in body, brothers and sisters, Christ the head of this body. We share one spirit. It's not like we all have different spirits within us. The one spirit of God lives in all of us. We have one hope. We look forward to the same glorious inheritance. We're all headed to that same home. Think about the unity that that brings. We're going to the same eternal home. Even the best of unities in this world ends at death. But not ours. It goes on to our eternal home where it culminates. And of course, we have one Lord, Jesus, the same master over our lives, who's sovereign over our lives, the one sovereign Lord. We have one faith. The same gospel beliefs, one baptism. And all of these onenesses are linked, if you notice, if you look at the text there, they're all linked to a specific member of the Trinity. In, in the Greek grammar, you can really see it, which ones are linked to Father, Son, which one to the Holy Spirit. They're linked through. Our unity, Christians, is as solid and eternal and indestructible as God himself. That's what's being said as our Trinitarian God is. And that, that brings me to the second implication of this household metaphor, which is a, a, a real togetherness, a physical meeting together. Household equals family, which implies a spiritual unity here. 
because we're part of the family of God. But the household image goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because he could have just said family. But the household image actually insinuates a family being together in proximity, kind of under the same roof in the house. Of course it does. That's what families do. They express their unity by coming together, coming home at night, eating together, gathering for holidays, celebrating together, mourning together, all of it. The early church that we see in Acts 2 didn't have to be told to meet together. After they got saved and the Spirit came, they didn't have to be told. They just started doing it. I'm going to actually read from Acts 2 about what happened there in the early church. Acts 2 verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceedings to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They started meeting together. And it's been this way ever since. You know, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, means the gathering. Because that's what we do. And Paul, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24, warns the believers not to neglect meeting together, as some have gotten in the habit of doing, because they said they need to stir one another up to love and good works. The word in the, in the Greek there is poke each other. They need to be together. They need to be in reaching distance because they need to be poking each other about things, correcting and rebuking each other to love and good works. So he says that they may hold fast, that they may stay is the very means of Christian health and perseverance meeting together. Think of a family unit. Think of your family if you never actually met together. You were too busy with other things. No time for family meals or events. No gatherings on holidays. Can't even bother coming home at night. Too much business and travel. What's going to happen? We must be meeting together, gathering to express and build our unity. It must be our priority. And this is a truth that I think bites a little right now. It's a truth that has a bit of a sting because this has been a hard year for actually physically meeting together in a lot of churches, including this one. The COVID situation and the masks hasn't made it easy, has it? Some have had to stay away out of necessity, and they should. For some, it's been out of fear, some justified, some not. For some, it's been the politics of the masks and the pandemic rules. You don't want to gather under any restrictions you feel are unjust, so you've neglected gathering with your family. For some, the habit of uh, watching online, and I'm speaking to all of you out there and myself, which uh, you know, started out as a necessity, has kind of devolved into a comfortable habit. And believe me, I get this. When we first started meeting online and we, we couldn't meet and we were just at our homes, you remember that? That was great. 
I mean, I got to sleep in on Sundays, didn't have to, you know, dress up, could just get my family, we sat on the couch together, and it wasn't just the comfort of it, it was great in a lot of ways, right? Right after the service ended, I asked my children questions about the service, we had great interaction, those were some wonderful, wonderful times, and believe me, nobody likes skipping church more than the guy who has to preach, My friends, we need to make every effort now to regather, if we can, to get back to meeting regularly together, to be together on Sundays in the youth group and growth group, to be the family that we are in Christ. And this isn't just about, hey, we need to hang out and have some good times and coffee and donuts again. This is about maintenance. We're a family We're unified, we're to meet together for maintenance, real relational maintenance, which is the final implication of this household metaphor. Look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, right before he gives all those onenesses, how one one we are in Christ, this is what he says, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He calls them to maintain their unity. They have one Spirit. They are unified in Christ, but they are to maintain it. You see, although we're brought into Christ's family... We are all still sinners that need a lot of work. And we didn't choose each other to be in the same household with, did we? We just got stuck with each other. According to chapter 1, verse 5, like I said, we were all adopted in, predestined by God to be part of this family. He brought us in from all kinds of different and diverse backgrounds. For them, it was Jews and Gentiles brought together in the same household. Two groups that before that couldn't even be in the same house. They got brought together with all their issues and prejudices. And for us, we come from all kinds of different situations and ethnicities and genetic predispositions with all our habits, bad habits, issues, baggage, stuff. We're just plopped into one family. When I picture this, I think a lot of my own family, the Hugheses, with, uh, with our nine kids and all the adopting we've done, we are a very diverse family with many ethnicities. Not sure what they all are, but we're figuring that out. And every issue and every childhood trauma you can think of and every extreme personality type compounded by our sinfulness, and we're all piled under one roof at 7704 North Bruce Road. And nobody got to choose each other. But we are one family. And you know what this means? Beautiful harmony, right? We just get along great. It's like a big Benetton ad. No, it means messiness. And I'm not talking about all the laundry on the floor. I'm talking about the relational laundry. I'm talking about the relational struggles with each other and our sin and differences. 
which then demands maintenance. We have to work at our unity. And Paul says, we do this with what? How how does he say to maintain their unity? Chapter 4, verse 2, how does he say it? With all what? Humility, right? With all gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. The very fruits of the Spirit in us are the maintenance tools. We have to live by that united Spirit that we have. We have to bring out the fruits of the Spirit, work at the fruits of the Spirit, so that this family unit becomes a sanctifying community in which God is working on us, working on the fruits of the Spirit in our lives as we try to maintain the unity. This is what this household is here at CTR. This is what we are about. This is why we must come together. This is why we must be in each other's lives and not neglect real, honest engagement where we speak the truth in love. So that God can do his work in us, through us. God can do his work in us, through us. As we deal with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, the very things that make us want to run from each other and divide the hard issues, the political differences, whether the mass stuff, the vaccination, all these things... These things become opportunities for growth, don't they? For God to do his work if we'll stick it out and work at our our unity, engage with each other. It's funny, people often think that personal spiritual growth is best fostered in isolation. You know, when I it's just best fostered when I have my coffee and my Bible, I'm in that comfy chair early in the morning, nobody's there to bother me. That's when I really grow. Or when I can go on that hike by myself to the mountaintop, it's just me and God, nobody to disturb our blessed tranquility. No, that may be a good time for thinking and prayer, but this is where we live it out and grow. This is the sphere of sanctification, this family. And my job as pastor, and Jay's job, and Andrew's job, and the elder's job, is to equip you as the family for this work. It's not to do all the work, thank God. It's to equip you for it as a family. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Let's read it. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's you guys, for the work of ministry for building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is how we grow in our unity in Christ as we work at it together and are equipped for the task. Now thus far we've only thought about the first metaphor here for which the 
the church uh, that, that Paul mentions here, the, the household metaphor, which speaks of, of our sanctifying unity as a family. But there's another metaphor here that moves the focus outward. So look, look at verse 20. Actually, start back at 19. We'll just read into 20. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. As a household, we're going into a holy temple. Now, this, is a completely, this has completely different implications than a household. You see, the temple had always been understood by the Jews as, as the meeting place of heaven and earth, the, the place where God came down and resided and met his people. It's where they could have access to him and, and get right with him through forgiveness and cleansing. And thus it was a witness to the whole world of who God is and how to, to know him. And Paul is saying, we, this family, not, not this building, but this family are being built into this holy temple, this, this witness, this light to the world as to how to know and get right with God. This holy temple imagery, you see, moves us from maintenance, inward maintenance, to mission. This is why when uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2.5, and he, he uses a similar, similar phrase and says they are, a, they are a spiritual house, he said they're a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. As we bring the gospel, we are a family, guys, on mission. If I had to just sum up who we are as a, as a church, as a body, we are a family on mission. We are a family to grow together, who is on mission to go out together with the gospel. And again, this is all of us. It's not just the foreign missionaries that we send out and the pastors. It's everybody in the family. Paul articulates, uh, I think, this this work together best if you just flip over to two, two pages in my Bible, maybe three, to the beginning of Philippians, where he's talking to the church at Philippi, and he says this, Philippians 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, it's the plural there, making my prayers with joy because of your, all of you, partnership, your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. They're all his partners in the gospel from the beginning. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, plural, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He always took that individually, right? Did, did a work in me, he's going to bring it to complete. He's talking about us, the body. He's going to do a work, the work, the gospel mission work that he's doing, he's going to bring it to completion. Because we are all partakers of him, with him, of that same grace. And when you get to verse 12, Chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, doing what? Striving side by side for the faith 
of the gospel. All of us, this is what we are about. We are partners in the gospel. It's the main game of our lives. A good friend of mine in high school, football player, that was a big part of his life, football. Uh, and he had this habit after he became a Christian, he would take, he took some white, I think it was fingernail polish, and he put a cross on the tip of both his cleats. And it was to remind him when he was in the huddle and he looked down and saw his feet or when he lined up on the line of what the real game was that he was in, what the main game was. That this was just a football game, but there was something bigger he was about, that he was on mission. And he wanted to live that way even when he was playing football. It's the reality for us, the missional call. We're a family on mission. And that's behind a lot of what we do here at this church. This is the reason that we give 20% of our budget to foreign missions for the training up of missionaries and, 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 and missionaries to go and supporting the missionaries that are out there. It's the reason we're supporting the Tangways as they're getting ready to go and how we've got, we've got other missionaries in the pipeline. This is the goal of our youth ministries. We're not just trying to raise up good kids who stay out of trouble and listen to safe Christian music. We're trying to create these little communities of young people that are on mission together, that are working at maintaining their unity and encouraging each other, and then being on mission together so that they're not just staying away from the world, but they want to go out towards the world with the gospel. They see their peers as the mission field. And hopefully we prepared them. This is crucial to our summer ministries. It's what the 50s Family Fun Fest is about, which I'll be explaining later during the meeting. It's what the Crew Impact Week that's going to happen this summer is about, which Andrew will explain later. This is what we want to facilitate with our Sunday school training and our equipping classes. We want to help you, all of us, in the secular spheres of our lives to be on mission. Whether at work, or on the soccer team, or at the PTG meeting, or in our neighborhood. This is why we offer two ways to live. This is why we run CE. This drives the, the way I preach, by the way. I always want to highlight and bring it back to Christ and the gospel because that's what it's all about. These things and events are all about being who we are, a family on mission. But to be honest, I think that we have lost a lot of this emphasis in it's been dampened in the fog of this COVID year. Christians have focused on the rights they feel are being taken from them and their frustrations with the masks, not being able to sing, and their disagreements over a pandemic protocol and the veracity of the vaccinations and the culture war talk, and we sort of lost the plot. 
we've kind of forgotten who we are and what we're doing. So I want to tell you a little story. It's a true story. It's about a small group that was meeting this past year. And uh, at one of their meetings, uh, all the Christian brothers and sisters there were kind of bemoaning the whole year. What a horrible year it's been. How frustrating it's been. How they can't wait to just put 2020 behind them in the past and move on to a good year. But one guy piped up and said, actually, this has been the best year of my whole life. And everybody just kind of stared at him. And then he said, I met Jesus this year. I got saved. And it's changed everything. It's been the best year of my life. You see, apparently, some Christians who knew him hadn't forgotten in the COVID fog that Jesus Christ still rose from the dead. And that he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who will repent and believe real hope in a lost world. They hadn't forgotten that they had the best news ever. They hadn't forgotten that they were on mission. And they'd shared the gospel with this guy. And it made it the best year of his life. see, I don't care if this next year is worse than 2021. Jesus Christ still rose from the dead. And we need to be a family on mission together. And you know, the darker it is in the world, the more attractive the light becomes. So let's make this year the best year ever. Let's maintain our unity as a family so we can be a holy temple to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us the deepest desires of our heart true unity, true intimacy in knowing you and you bring us into real family that lasts beyond all our struggles into eternity where it is perfected in you and your son. We look forward to that, but Lord, help us to live in the light of it now. Help us to serve each other, to maintain our unity and then go out and proclaim the good news. May we be a holy temple in your world. Amen.